0: And hello friends, we welcome you to another episode of the program here now Appalachia heard on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue to profile the outstanding authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their works and I'm your host Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us as we continue our discussion and profiling those authors who uh, are writing about Appalachia are from Appalachia and have those strong connections to Appalachian. I'm delighted to have another one of those authors with us here today to talk to us about her outstanding uh, new book. It is called These Silent Woods, and the author that is joining us today is Kimmy Cunningham Grant, and she is the author of two other books, in addition to this one. One is called Silver Like Dust, which is a memoir chronicling her Japanese-American grandparents and their internment during World War II. And her second book, Fallen Mountains, is a literary mystery set in a small town in Pennsylvania where fracking has just begun. Kimmy is a two-time winner of a Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Memorial Prize in Poetry and a recipient of a Pennsylvania Council on the Arts Fellowship in Creative Nonfiction. Her poems and essays have appeared in Fathom, Literary Mama, Rattle, Poet Lore, and Whitefish Review. She studied English at Bucknell University and Messiah College, and she lives, writes, and teaches in Pennsylvania. And so we are so glad uh, to have her with us here today as we continue uh, to talk about her career as a writer, but most importantly, this outstanding new book called The Silent Woods. So Kimmy, welcome to Now Appalachia. Great to have you with us.
1: Elliot, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: I'm so happy to have you on here to talk about this book. I I read this book, I was telling you before we started our interview today, uh, in a weekend I had several other things I needed to get done, including uh, grass cutting and laundry and some other things, and I got nothing done because I got so engrossed uh, in this wonderful story, a compelling story, a story that is so tightly uh, plotted and so brilliantly told, and I'm so excited to have you on here uh, to talk about this great book. And I wanted to start off by reading a quote uh, from early on in the story, because I think when I was looking for a quote that kind of encapsulates everything the reader's going to experience, both uh, with the story and with these wonderful characters that you've created and put in this story, which we'll get to in just a moment, I came across this quote early in the uh, story that I think really kind of ties all that together. And I'm going to read just a portion of that and then have you kind of give us some context and tell us. What's really going on here? Who's saying these words and why all of this is important in terms of the overall structure of the story? And you write on the bottom of page 14, heading into 15, uh, one of the characters says, And what would I do if things turned ugly? And the answer I realized was anything. I had no limitations, no lines, and I wouldn't cross because I hadn't already crossed all the lines I could think of. Thing is, once you've crossed, once you've done almost everything you ever said you wouldn't do, you also lose your sense of assurance that you won't do those things again. So give us some insight into that quote and kind of how that sets up the framework for everything that goes on in your story.
1: Yeah Elliot that's a that's a great choice for a a quote that summarizes uh, this book and especially this character Cooper who's the main character Um, and in this particular moment Cooper's neighbor Uh, Scotland has just shown up in the yard for the first time without any invitation. And Cooper doesn't even know he's been there. Um, And Cooper quickly learns he's been watching him and sort of um, keeping tabs on what he's doing. And um, Cooper at that moment is thinking about what should I do because I need to stay hidden. And now someone knows that I'm here. And um, the, the lines about how he thinks about that he's already done everything that he kind of thought he wouldn't do in life. Um, Cooper is is hiding from a past. He's made some mistakes, and he's also made some choices that were not necessarily mistakes per se, but just situational things um, that he deeply regrets and that haunt him. So um, he's always sort of walking along that line between: uh, Should I do this? Is this wrong? Is it not wrong? And so I think this. Uh, that quote sort of summarizes his morality in many ways.
0: He's a fantastic character and he's a character that uh, we'll get to in just a second because I found myself equally uh, feeling for him and sad for him but also frustrated by him uh, as well and we could talk more about that in just a second but I wanted to ask you about about your setting because uh, I noticed in um, in doing some research on you before our interview about your about your other book uh, which was set uh, in a small Pennsylvania town, and uh, this book, uh, "These Silent Woods," is set in in, in a small town, uh, sort of during the winter time, where we get a sense of fall, late fall, moving into winter. And I was wondering about your interest in small towns or fascination with small towns and kind of rural landscapes in terms of places to set your stories. Where did that come from? Is that something that, that you've always kind of used as a, as a location for your stories in your writing? What, what is it about those small kind of rural areas that gets your attention as a writer?
1: Um, well, I do, I grew up in a small town and I do live in Pennsylvania and I've lived uh, most of my life in Pennsylvania, so um, I, I do love this the state and I love the remote landscapes and how they'll transition sort of into rolling farm fields as well. Um, and I've placed both of my books. The first, uh, my first novel, Fallen Mountains, I initially pictured it being more in the center of the state, sort of in farm field areas that are being overtaken. More with like suburban sprawl. But um at the time I just happened to go up. I was in the middle of writing it and I went along with my husband to um do research. He was at the time researching the effects of um fracking on aquatic ecosystems. So he took me up to the Pennsylvania or the Allegheny National Forest. And once I saw what was happening up there I knew I had to place that book there. Um, so the fracking angle actually came in a lot later into that book than I, um, I wasn't planning to include fracking but it ended up being a big part of it. And um, These Silent Woods uh, takes place in a much more remote situation where Cooper is deep in the woods hiding. And um, although he doesn't ever actually say that he's in Pennsylvania because Cooper wouldn't tell where he was, um, he wouldn't make such a mistake. He, um, in my head, he was in Pennsylvania too, deep in the woods somewhere.
0: And as a reader, I tried sort of figuring out where, where would this be? Where would this be? Would this be, you know, eastern West Virginia, the, the mountains of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. may, maybe Virginia? I wasn't quite sure. And I, I love that you didn't really give us a specific name of where it was. That, that led me to a lot of different, uh, different potential possibilities for where the story could take place, Which I yeah. thought, which I thought was really great um back to back to coop who who's that's not really his real name by the way and, uh, right. and, and and you could if you want to talk about that we can spoil that and tell what his real name is but one of the things i loved as a stylistic device early on in the story is he was kind of explaining uh you know where he is that, that he's here with his daughter finch that they're in this remote isolated area that there is no electricity no no running water they've got a chicken coop that gets attacked Uh, at the beginning of the story, which kind of introduces us to this world. But I love how you wrote those scenes and those chapters, because we learn later on that Coop suffers from PTSD from his time uh, in Afghanistan. And um, when I was reading those and reading those, those pages and those chapters of him explaining kind of where he was and what was going on, I felt like I was talking to somebody who was in the midst of a panic attack. You know, you, you structured it in such a way that I could just see, him frantically trying to explain this as quickly and as fastly as he could to someone, but also kind of looking over his shoulder while he's talking to make sure nobody's eavesdropping and looking in. And I was wondering, um, how you set that up. Was that something that you knew you were going to do from the beginning uh, in terms of kind of imbuing that into his character? Or was that something that maybe came through a revision process? or Because I just thought that was a fantastic way to really give us insight into all the kind of uh, emotional struggles he was having, but also kind of what was going on in his brain, too, as he's trying to keep this 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 lifestyle and this rural, uh, rural kind of well, location or game that he's playing alive
1: yeah um well that's a great question you know i think i i sensed pretty early on in writing as i was exploring cooper that he um he was a veteran, so I knew that he was going to be reeling from his experience in Afghanistan. Um, I did end up having, as I, as I continued to write, I ended up having to research and learn a little bit about panic attacks and PTSD and, and to make that feel realistic to, to a reader. Um, and I wanted to render his experience as accurately as I could. So I think um, it developed, but I knew early on that I wanted him to be, that to be part of his story.
0: And Coop, we talked a little bit about Finch. I'll have you just give us a short summary of of who she is and her connection to Coop, and why he adores her and is so fiercely protective of her.
1: Mm-hmm well in the story finch is uh cooper's eight-year-old daughter and so these characters are hiding we don't know why they're hiding but it's very important that no one knows where they are we know that and so uh finch was originally uh her name is is grace and um Cooper's name, real name, is Kenny, and he sort of comes up pretty. We find this out pretty early in the book, actually, in that chapter that you read from Elliot, that he is, um, that he comes up with alternate names for them because that sort of adds a layer to their remaining um, a secret. So uh, Finch is eight. She loves the outdoors. She's very adept. Um, at exploring the outdoors she knows the names of animals and plants and she likes to try to um, trap animals with uh, deadfalls and that type of thing she likes to collect things from the outdoors she's very bright um, um, and much of her education is is gleaned from just reading the books that they have at the cabin but she's very moral too
0: yes absolutely and and let me ask you about one character, and then I'll lead me into my next question. There's someone pops up from time to time early on in the story, and you mentioned his name a moment ago, and it was tied into that uh, passage from page 14 and 15, Scotland. Uh, mm-hmm. We meet Scotland at various times throughout the story. Sometimes he pops up when we least expect it as a reader, and sometimes when uh, Cooper least expects it. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, him and kind of his role in, uh, in the life of Cooper and Finch?
1: Yeah, so Scotland, um, Cooper's never really been to <laughs> Scotland's house, but we know that um, because he discloses pretty early on that he has been watching them. So he lives as in his own words upriver, downriver, and he sort of keeps an eye on Cooper and Finch. And um, Scotland at least tells them that he's, you know, keeping an eye on them to, to protect them and, and help them out. But, you know, even from very early on, we're not sure whether he, you know, it's always a little bit weird to be watched. And so even if someone's intentions are pure, it's, it's creepy to, to, to watch someone through a spotting scope and, and keep track of where they're heading and what they're doing. So that's, that's Scotland, he's, um, he, he says he's a neighbor that lives nearby.
0: Yeah, he's a great, he's a fascinating character, and uh, I, I love just how he always pops up when when you least expect it, and sometimes when Cooper and Finch need him to, he, he's there. So he's he's a terrific character. One of the plot points in the book that's really interesting in terms of how Cooper and Finch are able to kind of live off the grid or or live on the land is Coop's connection to Jake, who was an old army buddy. And and we learn early in the book that Jake comes once a year to bring them rations, to kind of get them through sort of the late fall, uh, early winter time, when when the landscape really changes and there's a lot of, you know, short days, really cold nights, not a lot of opportunity to go out and kind of uh, engage with, with farming and that kind of thing because of the weather. Um, but something happens this particular time as they're waiting for Jake. He doesn't show up. He doesn't come when he's expected to. And, and Finch and Cooper, and you know, Finch is all excited. She loves Jake. She can't wait to see him. Uh, and we, sense, we get a sense that they have a good relationship, but he doesn't show up. And that kind of triggers a whole other set of circumstances. Can you talk a little bit about that, about sort of the, the other side of what happens when Jake does not arrive when he's supposed to with those supplies?
1: Right. Well, Cooper knows that he is heavily relying on Jake, that they would not survive without Jake's annual supply run. And so when he doesn't show up, it does sort of create a a very difficult situation for Cooper because for many years he has not left the premises and he realizes that they will have to get food. They can't find out in December that they don't have enough food. Um, So he's going to have to go out into the world. And that's very risky because, you know, uh, someone might recognize him or he might, he might be discovered and he doesn't want to go out into the world. Um, So he's, he's going to have to go out though, to get food. And, um, you know, because they change their patterns and the way that they're living, they're going to end up uh, meeting other people as well in the book.
0: And the reason that, that Cooper and Finch are kind of on this adventure, um, and not to give too much away here, is that um, we learn early in the, in the first half of the book that um, Cooper was, was very, very attached to his girlfriend at the time, Cindy, who was Finch's mother. Um, she's killed in a car accident um, uh, shortly after Finch was born. And then the grandparents get involved. Cindy's mom and dad get involved. Um, and we get a sense that there's some tension there between Cooper and them because they always felt like he was somewhat beneath their daughter or not good enough for their daughter. Can, can you talk about that a little bit that family dynamic and that tension that exists there and, and why Cindy's parents kind of look kind of did and, and still do throughout the story kind of thumb their nose down at Cooper mm-hmm
1: Yeah, Cindy is a wonderful uh, young woman. And uh, she and Cooper do fall in love. But Cindy's parents are very well connected. They're very wealthy. And um, from the get go, they don't, they think that, you know, it would be a waste for their daughter to stay local and to to marry this this guy, Cooper. Um, Cooper does decide to go to the army because he needs to find something worthwhile to do, sort of, that's kind of how he comes to that decision. Um, but even after he's proven himself um, in that realm, he's still, his Cindy's parents don't approve of him. And um, I won't get into the details, but there's one incident in particular that makes, I think, um, Cindy's parents really doubt whether he is a good guy for their daughter
0: very good we're speaking with Kimmy Cunningham Grant here on this episode of Now Appalachia her new book is called These Silent Woods and we'll talk more about that uh, in just a moment but we wanted to get an opportunity to uh, learn a little bit more about Kimmy and and her writing experience and her background and her life and one of the things we mentioned uh, when we were reading your uh, introduction uh, Kimmy is that your grandparents uh, were Japanese Americans And uh, they had an internment that they suffered during World War II, which I found to be a fascinating story. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the the experience that had on them and and how that carried forward into your your parents' lives and into your lives as, as the granddaughter?
1: Yeah. Um, so, growing up, my parent, my family, did not talk much about the internment at all. I knew that it had happened, but it was something they really tried hard to put behind them and not to speak about. Um, they moved on. They stopped speaking Japanese. They they really wanted to to be as um, "quote unquote" American as they could be after World War II, after they were released. Um, so, I I wrote that book. I started thinking about that book when I was maybe. Um, well, I was still in college, um, and I wanted to know more about it. It was this strange thing to know that this major event had happened, and that my family never wanted to talk about it. And so, I started asking my grandmother about what had really happened, and, and then I eventually came to write that the book, Silver Like Dust
0: very good very good and i understand that uh, your grandmother just passed away recently uh after her 100th birthday she had a 100th birthday party and then i know it's just
1: unbelievable how resilient um and vibrant some people are so yeah she um just turned 100 and passed shortly after that big moment very good
0: so who are some writers that influence you? Who are some writers that you find yourself going to for inspiration or whose books are always on your uh, to be read first list when they have a new title coming out? Who are some of those folks?
1: Um, I love Anthony Doer. Just admire every word that he writes. And um, I'm always transported and in admiration of him. Um, love Peter Heller. I just picked up the guide um, and started into it, and I'm feeling a little bit um, like you, Elliot, because I I picked it up and I just and there are other things I should be doing, but I just keep coming back to the book, <laughs> so it's really wonderful. Um, I also really love Lee Finger. Um, I'm a big fan of his. Um, uh, Emily St. John Mandel. I feel like I love her work as well. Um, really big admirer of Celeste Ng so they're just they're just so many yeah
0: it's a great time to be a reader and a writer I think (laughs) the voices and the stories and the diversity and everything that's being written and it's really a fantastic time uh, if you like books both as a reader and as a writer I want to ask you about your writing process because one of the things I love so much about your story is about your book is that there's kind of an undercurrent of dread that, that encounters every chapter. And, and I kept reading it thinking, oh my gosh, this is when something bad's going to happen. And sometimes it did, and sometimes it didn't. But you put so many great twists and turns to really keep the reader kind of off balance as to what's going on. And I want to ask you, as a writer, when, when you're putting that together, how do you know when to put the twists and turns in? Is, is that something that Maybe occurs in the second revision or the third revision, or do you have an idea in your mind of of, of when a red herring needs to be dropped in? Um, because I think that is that is such an un. Um, uh, unadmired skill about mystery uh, and thriller writers is their ability to do that, to sort of keep you off balance at, at just the right time. How did, were you able to kind of structure that in your story to, to keep the reader off kilter and, and when, to, when to do that and when to you know, divert their attention here and then circle them back over here? How did you do that? How did you structure that in your story?
1: Oh, well, thank you, Elliot, for, for those kind words. But I will say um, I end up being a major reviser. I can draft pretty quickly but I do spend a lot of time in revision and I have two documents at all times. Um, I call it my cut document um, because I cut stuff out and and throw it into that second document. Um, right now my, on my work in progress, I think I have around 80,000 words in the, in the manuscript and then 25 or 30,000 that are in the cut document right now. So I end up, as far as keeping that tension going and working on that, I do end up cutting and throwing it into the, the cut document and then cutting it back out of cut and putting it back into um, the real document as well. So I, I end up revising and figuring out um, and restructuring a lot. So I write, sometimes write scenes that I want to write and then go back and have to figure out where should this scene really happen to keep that um, the flow going and to keep the tension um, high as well.
0: Joining us today on Now Appalachia is Kimmy Cunningham Grant. Her new book is called The Silent Woods, and we'll get more uh, back to the book now and talk a couple more minutes about uh, what goes on in this story. We were talking a moment ago about um, the supply run that, that, that doesn't happen uh, when Jake does not arrive, and that leads to a, an amazing scene that on the surface, just seems very ordinary for many of us. And that's when Cooper and Finch decide that they need to go make a supply run on their own. And they decide to go to Walmart and they decide to to, to stop at the gas station. And something that just seems so ordinary to so many of us is just fraught with, with tension and moments where you think, oh my gosh, this is where uh they're going to get caught can you talk a little bit about the significance of that scene because i really felt like that was the that was the moment when sort of the 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 idyllic uh uh uh, lifestyle the seclusion really uh, that was kind of the end of that because things really start you know happening quickly after that but talk a little bit about about that scene and, and and what that shows us and what that tells us about about them uh as characters as we get ready to head to the second half of the book
1: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because who would have thought that, um, a scene in Walmart would have ended up (laughs) making such an impression on you. Um, but I did, I wanted, um, I wanted to, I needed to take Cooper out of his woods. He, he does need to go get food and it's a terrible moment for him because, you know, he has to weigh his odds. He knows they won't survive. And it's his number one priority at all times is to keep Finch safe, no matter what. And so he knows he needs to take care of her and get them food. Um, So he has to go out to Walmart. And it's actually Scotland who warns them, you want to go to Walmart. You don't want to go to the little rinky-dink store close by, because people will know that you don't belong there. Um, So usually people can sort of blend in at Walmart, but I I had to imagine what it would be like to have not gone to Walmart for many years and to have not been in the world at all and how that would feel like the lights would be so bright and the colors would feel so overwrought and all the people you would feel like were maybe looking at you weird or coming too close or, um, and so it was, it was fun and it was interesting to, to imagine what that would feel like.
0: Yeah, it was it was a great scene, one of my favorite scenes. And again, there were just moments where I kept thinking, oh, he he's going to get caught. Somebody's going to see him. Somebody's going to notice. Uh, and I won't say too much about ultimately what happens, but it really kind of triggers uh, a whole set of circumstances towards the second half of the book that really begin to. Uh, to, to, to cause some problems for them uh, moving forward. I wanted to ask you about, about a theme that I thought emerged uh, in your story, and that's this idea for, for longing and, and human connection. I think we've got several characters kind of juxtaposing that with each other. I mean, when I look at Coop, I think, you know, he is longing. He wishes Cindy were still here. He talks about her and reflects on, on their relationship favorably. Of course, he has a longing for, for Finch to keep her safe. She's got a longing, I think, for other people that she comes in contact with. She she. Grew Grows fond of Scotland. We know she has a connection with Jake. Uh, there's another character that pops up uh, when they get back from Walmart that we can talk about in a minute that she kind of becomes attached to. So Finch seems to be very much longing for uh, human interaction with others. We've got Scotland kind of uh, longing for the attention and the affection uh, of Finch. And so there's all this sort of this this human want, longing and desire for, for connection and companionship with, with each other. And I was Wondering about that when you when you were writing your story, is that something that just kind of came together as all these characters were circling around each other's lives, or did you feel like that was going to be something that was going to be a thread that held the book together?
1: Well, if I'm being completely honest, Elliot, I don't think I was super intentional about that, although you've just... Um given a wonderful and profound reading of this uh, book and those characters so thank you for that um I do think you're right that they are longing for connection that all the characters in some way are reaching out for that they are in their own different ways isolated and and alone and um in their in their different ways they reach out wanting connection so I definitely see that
0: and that we teased my next question coming up who shows up when they come back from walmart we talked about that a moment ago um someone shows up it's not jake who they think maybe he's just a few days late it, it's someone connected to jake but it's not jake who who is it that shows up and uh, what is she up to
1: well um after cooper and finch get back from walmart uh Jake's sister, Marie, shows up at the cabin. And of course, um, Cooper is very, very stressed and and feeling paranoid about uh, this unexpected arrival of of someone at the cabin. Um, And she sort of shakes things up because Cooper, first of all, finds out um, Jake's situation, what has happened. um, And then um, Marie was sent by jake to deliver supplies so she comes with lots of food and goodies for them and of course as you mentioned earlier not surprisingly finch who has had no women or girls in her life um immediately falls in love with marie so right away she forms a connection
0: with with marie so what are you working on next? What is your next project? I know you kind of alluded to it a moment ago, you're about 80,000 words in with about 25,000 on the chopping block, but what, 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 is, what is that new project? What, what are you up to? And uh, uh, when might we expect it? And can you tell us a little bit about what it's, what it's going to deal with?
1: Well, it's, um, it takes place in two timelines and two places, and so it takes place actually during um, right at the start of World War II, and it takes place in the United States and Peru, um, and then the second timeline is uh, 1997, so I'm working to, to incorporate sort of different threads and um, hoping to build up something uh, nicely atmospheric.
0: Very good. Very good. So in our final moments with you, Kimmy, if uh, anyone wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about uh, your new book, this The Silent Woods, or to talk to you uh, about Fallen Mountains, or uh, any of your other work that you've done, how can, they, how can they reach out to you? Where can they find you, first of all? And then where can they get copies of your book?
1: Okay. They should be able to get copies of the book uh, just about anywhere. Um, they, it could be if you want to buy independently, that would be wonderful. And um, it should also be available at the bigger retailers as well. Um, you can always reach out to me on um, through my website. There's a contact form at the bottom. I am reluctantly on Twitter and Instagram, so uh, readers can find me that way as well.
0: Very, very good. Our guest today on Now Appalachia has been Kimmy Cunningham Grant. Her new book is called The Silent Woods. It is a suspenseful thriller. It's a taught, tightly told story uh, that you are going to absolutely fall in love with. And as the great John Hart, who's been a guest on our program many times, has said, it's gorgeously written, taught, and compelling. It is all that and more. And if you love a good story with great and unforgettable characters in in an Appalachian landscape that you won't be able to put down and get anything done, this is the book for you. And I certainly hope that you will add this to your to-be-read pile. So Kimmy, congratulations on These Silent Woods. It's a terrific book. And uh, as you get that next project finished, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about it. So congratulations and thanks for the conversation.
1: Thanks so much, Elliot.
0: We want to take a moment as we finish up uh, this episode of Now Appalachia to say thanks to our executive producer of this podcast and all the other podcasts that you hear on the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Her name is Pam Stack. So, Pam, thanks for all the support and assistance that you provide. We also want to remind you this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. (laughs) listening to Now Appalachia, this is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program, and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.